0: what's up everyone hope you're doing well today this is Rafael garcia back for episode i think we're on 128 of the mma ratings podcast today is thursday june 18th and i'm here with Shawan humes how you
1: doing there sir well good as always man you know me just chilling one of my kids getting ready to head out to atlanta for a tournament so been busy as usual
0: are you going out there with him
1: uh, nah, man, I gotta work. So, they're gonna go out with one of their teammates, they're driving up there, be gone for about a week, seven days. About
0: Oh, true, true. So, um, we got
1: quite a bit to talk about in, in MMA today. Uh, should be a pretty
0: interesting conversations where we have to look back at UFC fight night one, talk about um, UFC on ESPN 4, which is this weekend, and also some Bellator and new fight news. So, let's go ahead and jump right into that conversation where probably the most interesting one that we've gotten maybe in about a week or so, where we have Conor McGregor... I'm not Conor McGregor, excuse me. I see I already fucked it up. We have Justin Gaethje is fighting Donald Cerrone in September. I think in Vancouver, and it would be the main event of that showcase. Uh, this is a pretty interesting fight at 155, and it has a lot of implications as I believe Conor and Justin are back-to-back in the rankings where one is four, the other is five. What are your thoughts about this sh- fight, Swan and what are your first... Um, first
1: inclinations about how it's going to go down? Uh, I'm, I'm more of a fan of this fight than I was the uh, a potential rematch between Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone. I thought that rematch was pointless. So this is a fight that makes sense and a fight that's going to drag in the casual fans. Like, this is going to probably be one of their highest-rated cards ever, it, just based on the fact that Cerrone built up all this goodwill over his career, and Justin Gaethje is, like, literally never in a bad fight. So this should be a very lucrative fight for them financially and as far as coverage from... Other other uh, media.
0: So, what are your initial thoughts about how this fight is going to play out? You have, off of that loss to who was it? They just lost to. um He's coming off of a loss. Tony Ferguson. To, Tony Ferguson. That's right. He's coming off of that loss where he was badly beaten and we saw his eye blow up. And Justin, I think, is coming off of is he coming off of a, of a win?
1: Two two consecutive wins. Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, As far as me, I think this is a fight that favors Gaethje. I mean, Gaethje's style really is built for Donald Cerrone. He's pressure. He's volume. He attacks the body. He's very physical. He's a fast starter. Donald Cerrone is historically a slow starter. Mm -hmm. He's not great taking shots of the body, and he's not great when guys pressure him. So from from that perspective, this is a fight that should favor Justin Gaethje. The thing that makes it interesting is... Cerrone's gotten a little bit better about starting a little bit faster and if he can get his jab going and really kind of control the range with his long weapons, long right hand, long jab, front kicks, tee kicks, push kicks, then he's going to be able to slow down some of what Gaethje does and out position him and then be able to try to outbox him. I think he's got a little bit cleaner hands and if he wants to succeed, I, I think he should do something similar to what uh, Dustin Poirier did where he's kind of using distance, using angles. Picking Gagey off as he comes in, using the feints to make Gagey cover up and attacking the body, and kind of attacking him up and down the body, and um, trying to out out outmaneuver him. Because if he gets into exchanges, or if he gets put on his back foot, there's no way he wins this fight. He doesn't hit hard enough, and he's not durable enough to be Gagey in that kind of fight. Do
0: you think that he has the ability to do like compounding damage, though? Because yeah, you mentioned that. Donald doesn't have, he doesn't really have that one punch knockout power. He's kind of shown flashes of it from time to time, but he's never really finished someone off like a way we've seen Justin and other fighters do. But do you think he has the ability to do like a, a compounded amount of damage, kind of the way he did to Rich Story or let me use another example, maybe like a Matt Brown or something like that, where he just does so much damage over time that it causes the fight, to, that it causes his opponent to break down.
1: Well, like I said, if he can use if he uses length and uses mobility, and he can attack Justin Gaethje up and down the body, to the head, to the chest, to the legs, and to the body, then he has a chance to kind of do do damage do damage through attrition. The only thing about that is you've seen that work. Eddie Alvarez did it to Justin Gaethje. You've seen Dustin Poirier do it against Justin Gaethje, and it works. But the fact of the matter is, in doing that, each guy had to take a huge amount of punishment that I don't know that Donald Cerrone's body can hold up to at this stage of the game. And secondly, even when Donald Cerrone won those fights against Rick story and won those fights against Matt Brown, the fact of the matter is he, he only landed a little bit better than he took. He took a lot of abuse in that Matt Brown fight. He took a lot of abuse in that Rick story fight. People just remember the highlight reel ending for him, but they don't remember the four five, six, eight, nine, 10, 11 shots. He was catching around clean, powerful, punishing shots. And Justin Gaethje is a much better finisher, in my opinion, than Matt Brown or Rick Story. So can he do that? Yeah, he's got the skill set. It's just a matter of will he start fast enough to not let Justin Gaethje overrun him, and can his chin and can his body hold up for three rounds, or I don't know if it's going to be five rounds, or five rounds to do enough damage to put Gaethje away because Gaethje mentally won't check out. Gaethje mentally won't slow down. So usually you rely on... Scaring the guy off because you've done some damage, or you caught him clean, and that guy will give you the space you need to operate. No matter how hard you hit you, he keeps taking that space away. And I don't know how Donald's going to react to a guy he can't scare off with his with his range and with his variety of strikes.
0: So you mentioned uh, the amount of damage that both guys have taken over, you know, their recent career. Who do you think's taken more? Because I'm sitting here thinking to myself about some of the fights these guys have had recently, um, and not even just the losses, but if you look at just some of the fights that Donald Cerrone has been through, uh, he took a lot from Tony Ferguson. He didn't take so much from Darren T- or uh, Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards kind of put a point scoring clinic on him, but the Darren Till, Robbie Lawler, Jorge Masvidal—I mean, he's taken a lot of fight, a lot of damage. You got Rafael Dos in there as well too. For Justin, those two losses he took back to back to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier were pretty bad. When you look at them at this point in their career, who do you think has taken on the most damage? Who should be more concerned about that heading into this fight in September?
1: Um, I'd almost say it's a tie, just because Cowboy's been in so many fights. I mean, he's had some quick wins and some easy wins. But the thing is, he's been in so many fights against world-class opposition. I mean, you go back to the WEC days, he was in wars and brawls. I would say Justin Gaethje's taken taken maybe in a shorter time span, he's taken more punishment, but you Factor in the length of Donald Cerrone's career and how much he like how much he fought. Like there, there, there are what years he fought? What seven, eight times in a year? You you can't take that kind of tread off the tires, and that's not counting how much sparring you have to do to be prepared to fight that much. So I'd say it's almost even. Neither one of these guys is really defensively sound. I mean, they're they're not. Justin's not as easy to hit as people make him out to be. Cowboys are a lot better defensively than people make it out to be. But the fact of the matter, on Cowboys in when you fight that many fights against that caliber of opponent, you're going to take punishment against Justin Gaethje. When you fight the way he chooses to fight, you're going to take a lot of punishment. So Gaethje's punishment comes from a conscious choice, the style that he uses to exploit holes in people's game that exposes him to punishment. Cerrone's issue is just the, the length of his career and the quality of opposition. It's two different issues, but I, I'd say it's pretty close. So
0: the last question I'm going to ask you about this fight here, is this the Conor McGregor sweepstakes do you think the winner of this will be facing connor sometime this year or um early 2020
1: Uh, i would think so i mean i i was i was hoping to see connor maybe fight cowboy and then fight justin or fight justin and then fight cowboy i was hoping that he would fight both of these guys clearly that's not going to happen now but yeah I, I would say whoever wins this has the uh the the lead going into the house going into the clubhouse or the conor mcgregor fight because this will be a very, very high publicized fight. It'll be a very popular fight, and whoever wins it um, will probably get the fan support to fight Connor since Connor's not going to get a title shot next. So, yeah, I, I would say this is a sweepstakes, sweepstakes for it.
0: Do you think either one of these guys are a big enough name for him? I mean, we
1: know they are, but do you think he believes they are a big enough name for him? With Connor, I don't think it's so much about names because he knows he can make money with anybody else. He needs somebody, he needs a legitimate win over a tough guy who can. Legitimize him and maybe get make make him more responsible for getting a title fight. Like he can't just fight somebody who's got a name. He's got to fight somebody who's got a name and enough cachet that'll make him a legitimate title contender. If Gaethje wins, that's three fights in a row. That and Connor beats him, that springs him into a title fight. If mm-hmm. if a Cowboy wins, that's almost he's won three out of his last four, and he's done a dynamic fashion. That springs Connor into a title fight. He's looking for whoever can get him into the title fight and making the money. These two guys would be the best options outside of maybe Jorge Masvidal.
0: So let's move on from this topic here. I want to talk about the Bellator featherweight Grand Prix. I'm not sure if you've been following this, but um, yeah, Scott Coker is once again going back to the well with his Grand Prix format for the featherweight title, which we know to heal Pierre, the current champion and 16 Men are in this tournament. Uh, the first or uh, well, the eight fights will be held in September for um, this tournament. And I think what's interesting is what's going to happen next. But before we dump into that, let's talk about the eight men that are in this card. On September 7th at Bellator 226, Sam Cecilia is facing Pedro Cavallo. Uh Daniel Strauss is facing Derek Campos. Pat Kern is facing Adam Boruchik. I think that's how you say his name. Emmanuel Sanchez is facing Taiwan Claxton. Then at Bellator 228 on uh, September 28th, a couple weeks, maybe about three weeks later, four weeks later, uh, Freire is facing Juan Archuleta. AJ McKee is facing Georgia uh, Georgia Caracanian. Darren Caldwell is facing Henry Corrales. And Daniel Weichel is facing Saul Rogers. And this is a pretty deep tournament, especially when you look at Bellator's 145 group. It's, it's a very deep tournament from top to bottom there. What do you think about these initial matchups and this overall tournament as a whole? Me, personally, I think this is definitely more interesting than than the the heavyweight tournament they've done as of late. Even the Strikeforce tournament is definitely much more interesting to me. Um, I think this is a very very closely linked, not linked, but um, in comparison to the welterweight tournament, it definitely shows that they have more depth at this division than they do at 170. But what are your uh, initial thoughts about this uh, featherweight tournament?
1: Uh, well, I think it's a good idea. Bellator doesn't have the depth the UFC ha- has. It doesn't have the name brand and familiarity the UFC has. It doesn't have the stars the UFC has. The thing that used to separate Bellator was the tournaments and the titles. And while they 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 don't lean on them as much, I think it's a good idea to go back to them because it's something the UFC is never going to go back to doing. So it's it's one advantage you have in North America to make you stand out. The UFC may have these like in air air parentheses tournaments where guys fight and they eventually end up getting to the title but the bell tour is really the only major north american company that uses tournaments to either crown champions find new champions or put people in positions to challenge for the championship belt so uh, all the tournaments have generated a huge amount of interest generated a huge amount of excitement and have generated very good fights that make sense and the most important thing is, much like pro wrestling, it has a storyline that builds and crescendos. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it because, you know, unlike pro wrestling, you can't dictate who goes where. But at least it has a storyline and a progression. And a lot of MMA fans are upset now when they see fights, random fights put together, and there's no progression. Like, yeah, this guy beat this guy, but what does that mean? Yeah, this guy fought this guy, but what does that mean? People want to know where it's going. They want to know is a champion being formed? Is a new star being developed? And these tournaments enable. Bellator to do so and give the MMA fans what they want, which is clear direction, clear guidelines, clear rules, clear results. And it separates them because, once again, the UFC does not do this. It's one thing they can say separates us from the UFC. Um, as far as the matchups, I think it's good. I think they got a lot of young talent. I think they got some guys who aren't known as well. And so for some of the guys who got a name and have some cachet in the mixed martial arts community, it's kind of risky because you know losing to a guy who isn't considered on your level can be a huge setback and these tournaments often have results that impact the fighters much further down the line moving forward you know you lose in a certain round or you lose in a certain fashion you're all the way back at the starting at the starting point look at frank Mir; he lost to fedor we haven't seen him since i don't even know if he's fighting again or if he's retired but after that loss had a whole, had to do a whole reset fedor lost to ryan bader what happened to what happened to fedor he's been out so long just to recover king mo after a tournament loss it didn't cause him to retire but was one of the fights that was on the way to him retiring so there's there's real stakes in these tournaments there's real opportunities but there's real stakes to end your career or get moving in the direction of ending your career
0: true there do you see any um, initial upsets happening in any of these first eight fights
1: uh i haven't looked at it really close yet i i don't just off the top of my head I don't see anything that should just really stand out I mean the thing about Bellator since they don't have that they don't have that depth and some of the guys they get are a little bit long in the tooth or maybe some are established but a little bit unrefined all their guys have for the most part have clear ways of losing like Darian Caldwell is a great fighter great af- well he's a great athlete he's been a great fighter he's put on some great performances but after you saw the last fight against Horiguchi it makes you wonder like you know, there's clear limitations in his game. So even though he'd be one of the favorites, you, you've already seen a clear path to defeat him. You've seen a clear path to defeat him to defeat him twice. And that's just an example. Most of these guys have, I don't want to say obvious holds, but clear limitations that can be exploited by anybody else in the tournament. So it's so. once I get to look into tape a little bit more, I'll have more definite analysis. But right now, off the first round, I shouldn't see any upsets. And if you do see some upsets, you'll probably see some guys um, – making some changes in weight class or making some changes in careers afterwards.
0: So let's talk about what
1: happens next,
0: because <laughs> after this first round there, Scott Cook was talking about this today. They're doing a drawing of sorts where the fighters, they'll it'll be a random drawing and whoever's first, you get to pick what card you fight on next. And then the individuals after you can pick where they want to fight. So then someone can, so example, fighter A can, draw first and he can say, I want to fight in January. Fighter B can draw second and say, hey, I want to fight in February. And Fighter C can say, you know what? I want to fight Fighter A, so put me on that card in January and so on down the line. This is a pretty interesting concept. It's different. It's new. It may not not lead to the exciting matchups we want to see. It may cause some more tomfoolery to go down, but I think that this is pretty exciting and it's it's a new wrinkle to the tournament format as a whole. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but did you hear about the changes that they're making to this format?
1: i did not this is news to me so what are your thoughts to be honest it's kind of crazy they're giving this kind of control over and if i'm one of the guys who took on one of the earlier tournaments i'm pissed i'm like i had to fight on this random ass schedule and you got guys getting to dictate which card they want to fight on i mean depending on how your fight goes like you know part of the the romanticism of the tournament is somebody's taken a been in a huge war and they won but now they have to fight A month from now, so you don't know how they're going to recover, if they're going to be able to train properly, it kind of it adds a sense of danger and mystery to it, not for the fighters but for the fans, but now if you can dictate terms a little bit, it it takes away some of the spontaneity, but it also increases the value of how the fights go and the value of winning and winning a certain kind of way. I mean, it's almost like you're manipulating the events a little bit because you're showing a clear reward for this result. So... I think it's pretty interesting because,
0: like, if it was me, if I had the first drawing slot, I'm trying, I'm picking the last fight date available, because a, I want to get more time to recover. For me personally, that that would be better. But you know, some guys like a Donald Storm, for example, want to fight more often. But I would pick the last fight date available and go from there, and kind of let the chips fall where they may, because you have an opportunity to see everyone else fight and see how everyone else prepares and see what type of shape everyone else is in. I think that's a massive advantage.
1: No, it, it is. It, it really is, it's especially like let's say you're in a fight and you're in a punishing fight, then you win. What are you going to take the fight in next? The fight in August? Or are you going to take the fight in December? Fight in December, so you can have yourself on point the way you want to be. It, it it just it adds a level of value to each and every fight, but it also takes away some but some of the uh spontaneity of the tournament. I don't have a problem with it, but if I'm somebody else who's already fought in the tournament, I know I'm not happy about this, not at all.
0: I think it's pretty interesting, and I'm interested to see. Uh, how it kind of plays out. You know, we got about uh, two months until we see what happens. I think um, Coco was saying that the drawing will happen either the day of that September 23rd card or the day after. So I think that that's pretty interesting there, and and, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of madness that creates. It's almost like the NBA draft lottery in a sense, and it's it's, going to be pretty uh, fun to watch happen. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep going and let's talk about UFC Fight Night 155 uh, and this fight card went down on Saturday. I think there's some pretty interesting pieces to pull from here. Not a whole lot, but I just picked out five names I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about that main event first where we saw the main finish off Aspen Ladd, giving her first professional loss in 16 seconds. You first and foremost. It was the second. Oh, okay. Her second professional loss. So finishing off. And this is her first UFC loss, right? Yes. If okay. That's what I thought. So finishing her off in 16 seconds. Um, did you think the fight was over there or should uh, Herb Dean have kept it going?
1: Before I give an answer to that, I have to let people know, this is why you should listen to the show. Because we talked about this fight last week, did we not, Raphael? We sure did. And I think somebody came to the conclusion that Aspen Lad's defense is so bad that she is going to get chipped up before she even has a chance to get her hands on Deron May and might end up knocked out before she can even do anything. I think someone said that on this show. That, I think somebody was did. that was me. And nobody listened to me. Oh, she's going to wrestle her. Lads a beast. She's so physical. She's so technical. No, no, they haven't developed this girl properly. That's why she pressured a world class athlete who was also a world class kickboxer who was also a counter striker. And your plan is to pressure her to walk in a straight line with your hands up right at her. Like I told I mean, you, these camps are stealing money. She could have called me. I would have I, I had a better plan for that. I would have had a better plan. I know people with better plans. Her camp stole money from her. Back to the way it is, I won't, I can see people saying why the fight shouldn't have been stopped. I get that. But when she got hit, if you watch the film, she sits on her knees for a second, not moving. Not moving, not anything. Just sitting there. She actually doesn't even really react until Durandamy takes a step to her is about to about to put her lights out with the follow-up shot. If I see somebody get hit that way, fall that way, and then sit on their knees not moving, I i might assume they're either incapable of defending themselves or they don't want to defend themselves. That's when Herb Dean was already coming over there. He saw her sitting, hands to her side, Deronami about to put coffin nails in her, and he's like, oh, I've had enough. Sure, afterwards, lad, I was still in it. I was about to do something. You don't fall to your knees and have your hands to the side just sitting there like you're, you're zoned out. And even though she snapped out of it, as a referee, if I see you stunned or staggered and somebody's walking towards you and you have not made one bit of reaction, how are you How are you blaming me because the fight got stopped? I'm not saying it should have been stopped, but when you look at it from that, how could you not stop it? I mean, she walked right into a shot and she felt like someone shot her in the head. And then she sat on her knees looking straight forward and Durandami's coming here about to decapitate her with the right hook. Left hook, maybe. I'm not sure. I, I don't have it on in front of me right now. But I, I don't have a problem with it. She shouldn't have got hit with that punch in the first place. And um, I was arguing on Twitter. People were like, well, you can't control what you can get hit by. Yeah, you can control what you get hit by. You don't walk straight in on a world-class striker who is a counterpuncher. That was an idiotic plan. That was stupid. From the minute that fight went go, Durandami had her distance and her range set. I guarantee you. Watch the film. From the minute that fight started, Durandami had her figured out because Aspen Lad came straight forward, she had the distance and she was just waiting for Lad to get over pursue. And as soon as she did, she wiped her out. That was really bad coaching. That was really bad fight execution. And she made Durandami look like a world beater. Now people so, are talking about might beat Nunes.
0: So let's so let's talk about that real quick because what this knockout, what that knockout really reminded me of, is you remember when Holly Holm hit kicked uh Best Korea? And she fell down and like, sat there for a second kind of raised her hand in slow motion. Like, yeah. And and the only reason, home got there faster than the ref did to finish her off with one more shot. But that's really what this knockout reminded me of. That oh. her being just happened to get there just a step faster than Jermaine did because she was going
1: to put her away with one more shot. That's the same thing Amanda Nunes did to Holly Holmes a week ago. Exactly. Oh, and just some behind-the-scenes stuff. best go did not follow the plan when she was fighting Holly Holmes. She was supposed to stay at distance, make Holly lead. that That's what we discussed because I knew her manager at the time before she switched teams. That's what we discussed. She chose to, to lead, and then she got knocked out. As I told her, she was going to get knocked out if she did that. Told her two weeks before the fight, if you lead, you get knocked out. But once again, even the pros don't listen. They pay me, but they ain't listening. And it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, this is a bad loss for Aspen Lad. It's a really bad loss. I mean, she would have a chance to show anything except that she's not developed as a striker or with her offensive footwork, and she has no sense of cage IQ in there. Like, she's doing what they told her to. She has no feel for the fight game and what she should be doing based on what her opponent's doing. That's a bad sign. And even though Durandami is a world-class striker, Durandami unloaded on Holly Holm, and she didn't knock her out in five rounds, and she punched her after the bell like six times. She didn't knock her out. She didn't knock a lot of people out like that, and she iced Aspen Ladd. So I'm not saying she just has a bad chin, but she gets dropped like that again. We're going to have to start asking the question that maybe she's not as durable as we think she is. And on top of that, Aspen Lab barely barely made weight. She's not a big Bantamweight. She barely made the Bantamweight limit. So if she keeps doing this, she can't stay at Bantamweight. But at featherweight, her physical advantages aren't nearly as dominant or or decisive in a fight. So this was a bad loss for her. It's a bad look for her. And it's a bad look for her camp. Anybody who knows her camp, please. Have them tweet me. I would love to have a discussion on what their plan was from person who, from camp person to camp person. I've done this like y'all have. I'm not some, we're not idiot hosts here. We've worked corners. We've worked camps. Explain to us what your idea was. If anybody knows them, please get in touch with them, have them DM me so we can have this conversation. I'm not even going to be rude or nothing. I just want it to to make sense to me because it made no sense to me what they did. Durandam now in the lead for, for, for the next title defense for Amanda Nunes, and she's looked like a world beater, and taking out Pennington and Ladd back-to-back. She's in, the, she's in the driver's seat now. She can do whatever she wants. She can walk away. She can pick a fight. She can do whatever. Um, I'm very impressed with her. She did it her way, and um, I'm a little disappointed in Ladd, but I'm not surprised because after the Eubanks fight, I was telling you, uh, her, her camp set her up for failure, and when she faced somebody who can really punch, she ain't making it out of the first round. I said that after she fought Sajara Eubanks. And Do you think she's
0: really next in line for a title shot? Because between Shevchenko, Cyborg, and uh, Durandami, I actually think she's last out of those three. The I really believe the UFC would rather go with Cyborg first, Shevchenko, and then um, Jermaine.
1: Well, Shevchenko has a title to defend. Cyborg possibly could get her. Cyborg's the biggest name, but as far as weight, who else is there? Holly Holm. Shevchenko.
0: And- I hate to say that. I totally hate to say that, but we all know we we know that UFC
1: has no problem going over a, a weight class. They're not for, She's going to have to win at least two more fights defending her belt twice. Dude, so, I mean, uh, I, I I would like to agree with you there, but I would not be surprised if, if you see something different.
0: Especially when you look at 125 and there isn't any depth there at all. Like, if Caitlin Chukagian is the next uh, 125 title uh, challenger, I would not be surprised if they took Shevchenko and put her up against Nunez well, before so- um,
1: Jermaine. I can agree with you on that for one reason. They hate Jermaine Durandami. They were hoping that Pennington would beat her. They were hoping that at- Ladd would beat her because of the way she screwed them on that featherweight title when she won it. And she was supposed to fight Cyborg. So Cyborg would have the title and be defending it against Holly Holm and so and so and so and so. So they don't like Durandamy. Durandami doesn't care because she has a regular job. She don't need this money. She does this because she wants to. So she doesn't care. So um, from that perspective, yeah, you might be right. Durandamy might not have any shot at getting a title. So,
0: I hate her. for also from UFC one fight, uh, excuse me, fight night 135, I wanted to talk about Uriah Faber, where he got another quick win. I'm not sure how fast it was. I know he put Ricky Simon down and basically, you know, won his he back-to-back fights, first win since 2016 when he retired. Now everyone's talking about him jumping the line and being the number one contender at bantamweight. I think that's bullshit. But you, we know him, uh, so he don't want to fight him. Because of the money value there. I mean, Alger Sterling should probably be considered the number one contender, but we know he's not getting that title fight if the UFC can find a way to get an agreement between Faber and um Cihudo. So what are your thoughts about the way Faber looked and what the organization
1: should do with him next? Well Faber looked like the old Faber. He stayed a distance, he showed it showed a chin and landed a counter shot with the right hand. I mean, is that not that's not your Faber favor from years ago seven years ago 10 years ago 12 years ago that's pretty much been it but he didn't have enough time to show he's de- developed a new game shown any defensive wrinkles show any you know different kind of kicking schemes or setups or transition it was it your was uriah favor the only interesting thing is ricky simon isn't a world beater but uh ricky simon ricky simon is a guy who's young who is show, shown to be pretty sturdy hits pretty hard so favor taking the shot was impressive he, you, a guy coming back hadn't fought in years you think would kind of crumble and the fact that he was able to basically hurt him so badly i mean the fight that that stoppage was probably a little early as well but the way simon fell and the fact that he wasn't really defending himself kind of allowed favor to get get the uh, stoppage i mean it, it wasn't totally legit but you get dropped by your fa- your eye favor like that and you're taking shots like that they're gonna stop the fight that's that's Uriah favor. People wanted to see that result. They're not going to take it from him. I'm not saying it was rigged. I'm just saying you don't let yourself get in that position against Uriah favor in Sacramento. If you're a fighter and Uriah Favor drops you and he's hitting you and you're just trying to tie up and stick your thumbs up, you deserve whatever you're getting because you know you, they're going to stop the fight and give it to him.
0: Do you think, think that he leapfrogged, the, he
1: leapfrogged the rest of the division? I don't know what people are mad at Uriah favor. This is Henry Cejudo's fault. He said this. The writing page to say it. Henry said it. That's the only reason we're having this conversation. And if Henry wants to make money, I can't fault him for that. Now, they might make him defend the flyaway belt. To be honest, he could just drop the flyaway belt and fight Ryan Faber for a big payday anyways. He's already been the double champ. There's really no need to defend it going back and forth. If he wants to, I guess he can, but I, I wouldn't necessarily do it. Faber's biggest money fight out there. It has some historical precedent. And if he fights Faber right now, coming off that win... That is a huge, huge, huge money fight for him. It, it's just huge. Um, I don't know that Dana wants it. I don't know that Dana's going to allow it. But if I'm Henry, I don't I don't blame Henry for taking it. And if I'm Uriah, I don't blame him for taking it either. Why would I? I'm not going to blame a fighter for taking a title shot. I don't care if he deserves it or not. He, you get it, take it if you want it. I mean, it's a short career. You have a very short time to make money. You need to make as much money as you can. You need to take as many opportunities as you can. Uriah Faber is not a young kid. He doesn't have a future ahead of him for 10 years. He's got maybe two, maybe three years at best. He's got to take every opportunity that comes to him and move on.
0: You know, you actually mentioned something that I hadn't thought of, and I hadn't really heard anybody else really mention, but the idea of Cejudo just dropping the 125 title and moving on to 135 isn't a bad look. Um, I would like to see that, although I do want to see that rematch with Joseph Benavidez. Maybe that's a fight that they could – let's say he did drop the title. Beefcake becomes champion through, like, another number one contender fight, whoever they have there. And then they set that fight up, that 125-135 fight down the line. I think mean, that that could be something that could have some
1: opportunity there. That's good. I think it's a good thing. I mean, Sudo's Cejudo, just trying to be a star. He's trying to make bank and etch his name in historical books. But on a personal note, if the Joseph Benavides, who showed up last time, fights Henry Cejudo, he ain't making it outside of three rounds. It ain't going to work. I, I, he's going to have to tighten it up. Because what he showed last time, it was an impressive win. That ain't getting it against the Hudo. I'll tell you that right now. He's going to tighten that up a little bit. To be honest with you, I was actually kind of surprised that he got the first win. But uh,
0: let's also talk about the rest of this card. I don't want to stay on it too long, but we got three names that stood out to me. Josh Emmett, Juliana Pena, and Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall definitely amongst all three of those because he deserves a ranked opponent next. If they put him against Emmett next, I would be interested in seeing that. But he deserves someone ranked. Did you see the breakdown that Luke Thomas did? on him from a defensive standpoint and compared to everybody else in the featherweight division? Uh, No, I did not. So basically what he did was he used numbers from Fightmetric, which is a location where I um, also work. And he broke down the fact that if you look at the number of strikes absorbed by, um, by Ryan Hall, that he is number one in the featherweight division. Everyone else in the group is ranked, except for Max Holloway, who's clearly the champion. And it was one other defensive um, stat that he pulled up as well, I can't remember the other one, but again, Ryan Hall was number one, head and shoulders above everyone else who were all ranked except for the champion, Max Holloway. So it's pretty interesting seeing that. I mean, he's won four fights in a row. He's gotten one stoppage or I think two stoppages and two um, de- decision wins, and he looks better every time out as a striker, and it kind of like nullifies everyone's game because they're so afraid of what happens when they get in close and when the fight gets down to the ground. Do you it, think Ryan Hall is ready for a ranked uh, opponent? And who would you put him in there against?
1: I don't know that he's necessarily ready for a ranked opponent. He's fought, He's fought guys who are, A, very limited, and B, don't have enough of a skill set to... To challenge him because as you said the only reason he gets away with that striking is because guys are afraid if he gets his hands on them he's going to submit them and he's faced guys who just don't have don't have top-end wrestling takedown defense guys who don't have really top-end grappling defense i mean and i don't mean grappling like i can just defend and survive i mean defend and get to a superior position defend and get away most guys feel they can defend and survive but they feel they're under constant duress and they feel that they're losing the round so they don't they won't take any chances i will commend him on his strikes the fact that he's long-range strikes which forces guys to either stay at the distance and get chopped up with kicks not necessarily get hurt but get points scored on them with long-range kicks and they have to either rush in or dive in for a takedown to have any chance to to have offensive success which opens him up to submit them so he's strategically he's a genius. He's got a good strategy, plays through his strengths, plays through his character, minimizes his weaknesses. He's not a great athlete. He doesn't hit really hard. I, I believe he doesn't take a really good shot either. So it's strategically, it's great. Technically, he's not spectacular. Beating Elkins was impressive, but Elkins has some people in his corner who have no idea what they're watching when they watch film, and Elkins is damaged to the point where he doesn't have the athleticism or the, I guess, aggression to try and test test hall in areas that he needed to be tested. He didn't take any chances. He just let himself get beat up and outworked to a decision loss. He took no chances. And in that fight, after about the first round, he probably ha- had to be desperate to win. Um, I could see, I don't know who's, I would like to see him against Gracie, but Gracie, once again, isn't ranked. And I'm trying to think who's a good matchup, who's a good matchup for him to fight at a, I mean, you could give him Jeremy Stevens. I mean, it's not a really an interesting fight as far as skill-wise. Stevenson is a murderous puncher, or hes I've been told he's a murderous puncher, and you could uh, see if Stevens could get him out there, or could Ryan Hall get him to the ground and submit him? That'd be kind of interesting, because also Stevens isn't good with guys that move. Ryan Hall moves, he uses long-range strikes. So does Ryan Hall outsmart him and outslick him? Or does Stevens wipe him off the face of the planet with that big right hand? Or does Stevens swing and miss and get submitted? That's a really appealing fight just because of the nature of how quickly it could turn.
0: Um looking at the list right now, I think the I think Josh Nemitz, jo- Josh Emmett's name pops out to me. He's at number nine.
1: And he also fought on that card. Uh if I mean, I'm Mo- not taking the fight. If I'm mean, after that kind of win, uh, I'm not doing him, I'm not doing him any favors. Renato no. Moicano is coming off of a loss. He's ranked number
0: ten. That could be an interesting fight. Another one that jumps out to me is Calvin Cater at number eleven. Um, him being a wrestler, I wonder if he would be willing to take that chance and think he can do enough of um, defensive wrestling to kind of save himself on, on the ground? Or uh, would he be
1: too deep underwater in that type of fight with, with Ryan Hall? The problem is his athleticism and the fact that his boxing is so clean. If you use the feints right, use the footwork right, you can draw out a kick. You can draw out something and just clean clean uh, Ryan Hall up on the counter. Ryan Hall hasn't faced a guy with any real, like, Artem Lobov is a short armed guy who gets by on timing and awkwardness. Darren Elkins is many things. Tough, strong, brave. He's not a good striker. He's just not. He has no idea how to close distances and how to draw draw things out so he can land counters. Font is murderous. His timing's great. His footwork's great. He could I think he could navigate the kicks. It'd be an interesting fight. Like I said, once again, Font's either gonna get him out there quick or font's gonna end up getting chipped away at and lose the decision. But that's a very dangerous fight for um, Ryan Hall just because of the crispness of Rob, Rob Font's uh, striking.
0: No, no, no. I said Ryan Cater. I think Rob, Rob Font just got I was cut. Sorry,
1: sorry. Cater. My, my apologies. Sorry. I
0: keep I saying think it. Rob Font just got cut, actually.
1: Yeah, I think so. But yeah, Cater. He's, he's just so dangerous. Um, there's not, as far as the grappling, there's not many guys, guys who can match him there. So you're just going to have fights where you wonder can the guy get him on the feet before Ryan Hall gets him on the ground? That's almost all the matchups there in the future for him right now. Maybe a both yeah, Vol- I mean Volkanovski would never fight him. I I'd, I'd pay to see that fight though.
0: I would definitely, I would definitely um, enjoy that that fight. It would be very interesting for me. Um, let's see, let's see. I want to talk about UFC on ESPN four, where I have one, two, three, four, five fights that I wanted to chat about quickly. Uh, Rafael dos and Leon Edwards. This is the main event. And there was a clip that's going around on Twitter about the run that Javier dos Anjos went on that pushed him towards the title. Uh, then we have Leon Edwards, who is kind of in an odd place at 170. I don't think he's a big enough name to get any type of fight off of a win here, because obviously he wants um, Jorge Masvidal. He wants there until. Uh, Excuse me, I think he um you know, he's trying to jockey for one of those type of slots. But I don't think he has a big enough name for anything, regardless of how he wins on Saturday, if he wins on Saturday. Between these two men, what do you see happening in this main event? And let's talk about what happens to the next, both from a win and loss perspective.
1: Well, both of them are on the outside looking in. That's for a fact. Designos had too many, too many big and decisive losses and wanted to for him to be pushed into any sort of title fight or or top contendership. He's got to win at least two or three to win. Leon Edwards wins, even though it'd be the best win of his career over DeSanos, Desanos has been figured out has been to a degree figured out at welterweight, So him beating DeSanyos doesn't mean as much because we've already seen DeSanos beaten twice and beaten decisively at welterweight. So either one, either guy wins, they're they're really no closer to a title shot unless somebody gets injured. They're another two or Two fights away. Leon Edwards has no fans and he's not exciting enough. RDA is exciting, but he's lost his, he's lost basically against two best Walter Ways he's faced. And those guys are still in the positions they're in. So he doesn't have any real avenue to getting to a title shot within unless he wins another two or three fights in a row. So both guys win. They're still two, or three fights away. They lose. They're three to, three to five fights away. It's pretty much how it goes either way for either guy just because the, the nature of their careers and what they've accomplished up to this point. Um, the int- the question is going to be, can RDA dictate the pace of the fight? If he can dictate the pace, get to the spots he wants, put his hands together, work on the body, and kind of force that pace on Edwards, Edwards' defense should fall apart. Edwards should start getting hit more. He should start tiring from the exchanges and the physicality of the exchanges. And he- And RDA should be able to take over late or finish. The, the the actual question at the beginning of the fight is how much is leon edwards youth and his athleticism a determining factor that keeps rda from getting to the spots he wants and is leon edwards physical and big enough where he can wear rda out with his size to where rda is just put on the defensive and can't do anything and is basically overwhelmed or outpointed to a decision it, it's, you'll see you'll see really early how the fight's going to go by the i don't know second half of first half of the second round you'll you'll know whether RDA can punch holes in that gas tank and come on late, or you'll know whether Leon Edwards athletically is too much for RDA and is just able to bully him and uh, manhandle him. And If he can manhandle him, that will be the determination of the fight. If he can't and he's shaking him down or trying to push him to the fence and trying to overwhelm him and RDA is able to fight back and fight him off, then we're going to know that RDA is chipping away at him and Leon Edwards can't maintain the pace that he's fighting at when Edwards has been his best is when he's been able to dictate the pace and the place of the fight. If he can't do that against RDA, he will lose. So, I mean, answer some of those questions though.
0: I What I think is interesting about this fight, like, I just forgot the rankings really quickly and RDA is sitting at four and Edwards is sitting at well. Um, I mean, even if he pulls out a win here, I don't see him in a position to leapfrog that many people. He may, because if you look at the rankings right now, Damian Maya just picked up a win, so he's not in active competition right now. Robbie Lawler's scheduled to fight Kobe Covington, who's ranked number two, so he would have to lose in order for Edwards to hop over him. Ben Askren just fought. Um, Santiago Ponzinibbio, I don't think he has anything scheduled. Anthony Pettis is there. He has a fight coming up. I don't remember against who, but I don't see a lot of, yeah, that's right, maybe I don't see a lot of wiggle room for Edwards to make a whole lot of moves. And if, even, even if Dos Anjos wins, there's no way he's leaping over Woodley, Covington, and Masvidal for a title shot.
1: No, Edwards isn't popular either. He doesn't really have a fan base. So there's no financial reason for them to push for him to get that opportunity. So he doesn't really have a fan base. And unless he dominates RDA, if it's, if it's kind of push and pull and RDA is winning at some points and he's winning multiple rounds in a split decision, then it's like, well, Kobe Covington looked better against him. Kamaru Usman looks better than against them. You looked all right. It was it was super competitive. You almost lost. You can't build a case off of that. So he he's got to do something that hasn't been done. He's got to show that he's a cut above him. And even if he's even if he can win, I don't clearly know that Leon Edwards is a cut above RDA or that he'll be able to fight in a manner that clearly shows that he is a cut above RDA. And if he can't do those things, he he can't he can't leverage himself into a title fight. He, he's basically in the position of he's trying to chase guys to give him fights, to give him the attention he wants. He chased Del Sanyos. That's how he got this fight. He's been chasing Masvidal. He's just keeping everybody's name in his mouth because he doesn't have enough enough cachet on his own. He doesn't have enough popularity. He doesn't generate enough money to get into these fights on his own. So he's basically stuck just like a little dog barking around trying to get somebody to pay attention to him to give him the clout he needs to demand the fights he really wants.
0: So the next fight I wanted to talk about was um, I think it's Walt Harris fighting. Uh, I had the card it a second ago. Yes, Walt Harris and Alexio Linet. I mean, you know how I feel about heavyweight MMA. I don't really give a damn at all. But the heavyweight division is looking for a new um, contender. Do we see Walt Harris step into that role here, or does um, Alexio Linet continue being that like elder statesman that
1: won't go away? Um. I mean, Walt, Walt Harris, in my opinion, he should win this fight. He's he's a better athlete. He's fresher. Um, he's more durable. He he's got a broader skill set. Olenek's kind of a one one-trick pony. So by by all means, Walt Harris should have enough to to win and win in a tidy manner. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't. Like I said, if he beats him, it just doesn't. It doesn't really do much. It, it doesn't really do much because c- of the losses he's had and the fact that he's never really consistently shown up against the best opposite opposition he's faced when he's the better guys he's faced. He's found ways to lose. Um, Olenek would be one of the better guys. I think it's a favorable matchup for him. So if he beats him, it's one of the few times he's faced a guy who's, who's kind of accomplished anything in the UFC and and would have won. Um, Like I said, I think he wins, but I I don't, I don't think a win does much for him as far as putting him on the map, as far as the title fight, he's been a guy who's kind of underachieved based on his physical tools and the skills he's shown, he just hasn't been able to put it all together in the biggest spots. So hopefully this is another step towards him putting it together and moving to the next phase as a fighter. But if you look at his record, it's 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 dramatically inconsistent. Whenever he faces a certain caliber of opponent, you start seeing lack of consistency in his performance and his durability and his cardio and his mental approach to the game.
0: So, um, I mean, is this a fight that we should really be paying much attention to
1: on the heavyweight scene? You have to in heavyweight. Just like in light heavyweight, you have to pay attention to all the fights because you win one or two, God forbid you win three, you're you're a title contender. You might get the next title shot. It's such a thin division with so many retreads and so many guys on their fourth incarnations of themselves as heavyweights. Any fight might be the fight, might be a, a future contender. You know, we thought Francis Ngannou would be out of the title match, title fight, title fights for years. Uh he comes back, wins three fights, and now he's he's the number one contender, just like that. You know, we thought Stipe was gonna be untouchable. He got knocked out by a light heavyweight who moved back up to heavyweight. Wow. So I mean due, due, due to the nature of the division, you have to pay attention to any heavyweight fight because that's there's a good chance you're looking at somebody who will be a top five ring heavyweight and a guy a guy who will be challenging for the title very soon. You seen it with Derek Lewis or with Francis Ngannou. You see it all the time. You just have to pay attention due to the lack of depth in that division
0: and it's interesting because walt harris is the only one of these two men ranked and they still have him listed as the co-main event and i think the only reason why they did that is because they didn't want to put greg hardy back in that position they didn't want to have to hear all of that um backlash that comes with them promoting still, him promoting him
1: they still gonna
0: hear it i mean yeah they still want to hear it but they definitely want to put him in that co-main co-main slot again to promote him like they did the last two times especially the power he performed, but he's facing Juan Adams on Saturday as well. And do you think that this is an opportunity for him to look better? Or if he struggles here, do we see them begin to separate themselves and push him further down the card and maybe even get rid of him entirely?
1: Well, Juan Adams is a legitimate fighter. He's, he should have the advantage as far as his striking. I don't know that he's a better athlete than uh, Greg Hardy. And seeing how Greg Hardy reacted when he faced real resistance, It doesn't give me a lot of faith that Greg Hardy wins this fight. He's super explosive. He hits super hard, and heavyweight you you can never really feel secure on any bet you make on a heavyweight fight. But on paper, Adam should win this fight. Once again, he's facing a bigger, better athlete, but a wildly under under underdeveloped and untested fighter. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of so so on this fight. Uh, Hardy shouldn't win it. He He should get stopped. In theory, he should get stopped by this guy. And um, like I said, Hardy's still like, he's years away from being a legitimate, even in heavyweight, he's years away from being a legitimate heavyweight ranked contender. Everything people are voting for him or looking into him is based off his athleticism and his size. As far as actual skill, IQ, experience, he doesn't have enough to really be ranked as such. But once again, the division is so thin that a guy like him can be talked as a potential contender. I, I don't see him as one, but, you know, in that division, anybody can be a contender.
0: Another one of the interesting fights to me is the James Vick versus Dan Hooker fight. I'm looking at Hooker to win this. Yeah, he had that bad performance against uh, Edson Barbosa a couple months ago, or was that a year ago by now? He had that, that bad fight against Edson Barbosa, but I really think that this is a fight that he can win because I've never been too keen on Vick and his ability to
1: implement a, a solid game plan from start to finish. What are your thoughts about this fight between these two on Saturday? I don't mind the quality of the performance Hooker had. I mind how much abuse he took in that fight against Barboza. I, I really believe the saying that you are only you only have so many wars in you, you only have so much punishment you can take before you start showing adjustments in how you fight, your recuperative abilities, your cardio, and your athleticism. And I believe a fight taking the abuse he took against Barbosa, I don't think. Fights like that, you just wave off or you just move on from. I believe there's a certain amount of yourself that is left in the cage after a fight like that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And um, Vic, Vic isn't—he's not very high IQ. The thing about Vic is, even when he starts off slow, if you let him hang around, he generally gets stronger from round to round. His boxing on the inside's improved. He used to just be a guy who was stuck at range and would get hit with big right hand, but his boxing on the inside's improved a little bit. His defense is still suspect, and I don't think his chin is all there. But Dan Hooker isn't, isn't a big hitter either. He's a kind of a, a volume a volume technical guy. And I don't, honestly, I don't know that he can knock out Michael Vick. I mean, I don't know that he can knock him out. Excuse me, not Michael Vick. Uh, James Vick. I don't know that he can knock him out. He's not used to dealing with somebody with that kind of reach or that kind of height. I think that plays into it. And unlike a lot of guys who face Hooker, Vick's got a good range boxing game and a good range kickboxing game, so Hooker's not going to have certain advantages he's used to dealing with. I like to say the Hooker wins this, and and there's a good chance he does, but um, I think we'll have to go with Vic on this, and I'm not even a Vic fan like that. When Justin Gaethje knocked him out, it was one of the bigger highlights of my year, but uh, I'm not sure that um, Hooker's recovered enough, and I'm not sure that he's a dynamic enough athlete or all round fighter to beat Vic, Unless, unless, unless Vic lost something when he got KO'd. Vic's, Vic's usually very good against a certain caliber of opponent. Unfortunately, for, for uh, Dan Hooker, he falls right in the rankings of that caliber of opponent that James Vick usually beats.
0: I was going to let you have the Michael Vick snip up um, and not bring it up, but you know, you you yourself. Uh, I was going to leave it at at, at that. Michael the, Vick fights MMA? What? He's going to be on the UFC? Yeah, seriously. going would be all
1: over Twitter. What? We don't, don't need, need those
0: problems. We don't need those sure. problems at all. The last fight I wanted to talk about was Aldana vs. Pennington. There's two women's, women's fights on this card, actually. And um being one of them. I can't even remember who she's fighting. But this Aldana vs. Pennington Maya? fight. Yes, Jennifer Maya, correct. Um, and this Aldana vs. Pennington fight stood out to me probably as more important amongst the two. Because even though you know Roxy has those wins and losses back and forth, I don't think she's in a position to be considered any type of contender. And Maya's still new. So, what do you think about this fight between Aldania and Pennington? Who do you think is going to come out on top? Is is this Pennington's first fight back since? um,
1: Pennington got beat up by Duran Durandami.
0: So, she fought Nunez and she fought Durandami after that?
1: Yeah, Durandami whoops her ass, dude. It was bad.
0: I totally forgot about that. All right, so what are your thoughts
1: about this 135 contest? It's clear they want, in my opinion, they want Aldana to win. Once again, she fits into a demographic. It is very big on combat sports and supports their fighters immensely, so they want her to win. Rocky's coming off of two, basically one-sided beatings. To be honest, Rocky's at one point she was one of the had the showed the highest IQ and ability to adjust in a fight. Somehow, in the past two fights, she has shown none of that ability, none of that fire, none of that aggression, none of that uh, poise under fire that allowed her to make the adjustments that would allow her to beat in the way she used to, or maybe she's just hit her ceiling and against a certain caliber of athlete. She's just ineffective. I'm not sure which one it is. I guess we'll find out Saturday. Um, Aldana's going to be tough for her because she's long. She hits hard. She's a better athlete. And while she's not maybe the better overall technical striker because of her athleticism and her length, she has some advantages in what she can do and how she can do it. Uh, Pennington's very smart. She's well-schooled. Pennington's an average athlete at best she gets by on her durability and her grit and she hangs and fights long enough where she can f- figure out the spacing figure out the rhythm figure out the pattern make an adjustment and essentially walk an opponent down but I haven't seen any of that in her last two fights and while is not as good as Durandamy she's a better grappler than her she's a better wrestler than her and while she's not as dynamic a fighter as Nunes, she is still a better athlete than um, Pennington she still has some advantages as far as size and reach, and she has clear advantages striking, which is, which is, a, which is a, something that Pennington's always prided herself on, being able to outbox people and walk them down. But against the two best strikers she's faced, she hasn't been able to do either one of those things. When she fought Holly Holm, she wasn't consistently able to do that either. And I have, no, I have my concerns that she's going to be able to shut down and walk down Irene Aldana as well. Aldana doesn't like pressure. You can get your hands on her. You can be physical with her. You can scuff her up a little bit. You can beat her up a little bit. You can wear her out a little bit, but you got to be able to get your hands on her. you got to be able to put her on her back foot and you got to pressure her unrelent relentlessly. I haven't seen that from Rocco Pennington. I don't know that she's capable of being that fighter anymore. So I- I'm probably going to have to go with Aldana. Pennington has all the skills. She has the skills to win the fight anywhere she wants to, but due to her lack of athleticism, she's like Misha Tate. She has to be willing to take a certain amount of punishment and be in certain spots to to do the thing she wants to do to win a fight and i haven't seen that fire from her in the last two now maybe she's got it back and if she does aldana has got a problem but it's easy to have that fire before you get cracked across the ribs or cracked across the jaw you know she talked a good game for nunez she talked a good game for randami she ain't show for either one of those fights so you know if it happens a third time then this is really who she is as a fighter do you think that um, Pennington's on her way out of the organization? She's close. I mean, she she got a title shot. She wasn't competitive. She's not a big name. She seems to have hit a ceiling. She's gotten crushed two fights back to back. It wasn't for the fact that the banner weight's so shaky. She might be on her way out. Given the, the division she's in, they need bodies. So she might she might be able to last. She might be able to last as long as she doesn't make any waves. But she shouldn't feel. I, if I was her or I was her camp, I would not be feeling particularly safe about my uh, future in this division.
0: Some interesting thoughts there, man. Is there anything else from this card on Saturday that stands out to you that you're keeping a close eye on? Uh,
1: not really. You know, just kind of, like I said, it's the thing I mentioned about the Bellator thing. You see these cards, and they have a lot of fights, but there's not a lot of clear direction. There's not a storyline that I can follow It's going to, this happens, this will happen, this will happen, this will take me to this point. It's kind of random fights put together. And a hodgepodge of what's going to happen, and who's going to fight next. And while it's exciting because you never know what's going to happen, it's also frustrating because there's no rhyme or reasoning to the matchups and the fights and the title fights and the rankings that you see. And as a sports fan, people who are used to sports, it's really hard to buy into something when you don't have some kind of rationale to it or in it.
0: True, true. So um,
1: I don't have anything else, man, for this uh, this episode of the show. I have one thing I what do you got? Said. One more thing. Uh, it was from the previous fight card, the Ju- Julia P- Juliana pena Nico Montano fight. Um, just a couple observations. Um, it was good to see Juliana Pena back. She's still an athlete. She's still aggressive. I didn't, see as, I didn't really see a lot of growth from her in that fight. She seemed like the same fighter depending on her size, her cardio, her aggression, her physicality, and her athleticism. I didn't see a lot of craft there. A lot of people told me she showed good grappling or some, de- some tricky grappling, but she's always had that. Her striking still wasn't great. It's more being a willing striker than a good striker. Her, her whole approach to fighting is she comes out hard, forces you into the range she wants, which is clinching and grappling. And while she's in these fights, she's getting she often gets out work. she got out work by Zingano, Jessica I. she got out work by Pena by uh, Montano. but as she's getting out work because of her durability and the pace she's setting, she's just downloading information on you and figuring out how strong you are how how hard a pace you can go, how hard you hit, how willing you are to put yourself in bad situations. Then by that second round, she's got she's got a fundamental understanding of what you can do and who you are. And she operates from that point, ramping it up and attacking those key points of information that she found out. That's what she did to Montano. And Montano, at the flyweight, had a little bit of physicality and durability that she could lean on to bully girls like she did with Roxy Modafari. But abandon Bantamweight, that does not exist. And even though she's strong for that, she's strong and physical, she just essentially wore herself out, getting into clinches and pushing up against the cage and exchanging body shots and, and grinding and grappling and exchanging with Juliana Pena. She basically wore herself out and put herself in a position where she was fighting an uphill battle for the rest of that fight. As you saw late in the third round and early in the second round, she was jabbing, using the leg kicks, using the body kicks, using the feints. By the time she started doing that, she didn't have enough energy to fight off a takedown offense take down the attempt. she didn't have enough energy to get right back to her feet when she was taken down. She had blown all that energy in the first round. So I felt like she should have been a little bit more poised than what she did, use her broader skill set, kind of extended Pena in the first round that you know she's going to give away, and don't give her any information. Just give her information she can't use. Don't let her know how strong you are. Don't let her know that you're good at grappling exchanges. Don't let her know how durable you are. Just pick her away at her, move around, get your points up, control the distance. So then when that second round comes and she's going to make that hard charge at you, she has no information. She has no point of reference. She has no idea what she's getting into. All she knows is she's going to ramp it up and see what happens. And um, it just shows a big difference between what happens when you have fighters move from weight classes. You move up a weight class, a lot of things you like to do at that lower weight class just don't carry over as well at a bigger weight class. And even though she was a more skilled fighter, she wasn't able to highlight those skills or (laughs) highlight like her world-class ability because she was facing a girl who was much bigger, much stronger and able to keep a much bigger, much better pace than she could. So it kind of exposed the limitations of moving up and down weight classes because everybody thinks to just move up. You can dominate there, move down. Henry Cejudo might make it look easy, but it's really not. And this was yet another example of, of a girl who's world-class in one the weight division who is now essentially showing herself to be, you know, maybe middle, upper middle class at another. And that's a division that's not even very strong at that.
0: Good thoughts there, sir. Good thoughts. What do you think? Um, actually, no, I'm not even gonna ask that.
1: Let everyone know what you're working on this week and where they can find it. Uh, I'm just, I'm always just watching film, trying to trying to figure out different angles. The main thing, I'm just trying to figure out different angles to approach something. Because if I'm if I write something, I want to give y'all something from an angle that everybody's not going on. Luckily, I cover a lot of women's mixed martial arts, which nobody seems to fans care about, but a lot of guy, a lot of guys writing on site don't seem to give enough attention to. I'll see 15,000 breakdowns of every male fight on every website, and I'll see maybe two breakdowns of a female fight. And it's not even very good at nine times out of ten. So just various stuff of women's mixed martial arts and various fighters for some of the fights coming up in the in the near future. Good, good. Let everybody know where they can find your work, too. Uh, MMA ratings, of course, and you just find me on Twitter. Once again, I'm, I'm always dropping pages of tweets of free content of fight breakdowns, and then also when we have the events, if you follow MMA Ratings, I'm usually uh, replying to a lot of the, the posts they have when they're asking about reviews of fights or what you think of a fight or how you think the result was. I, you can usually find me tweeting through there about my thoughts and opinions on the fights, the corners, and the results.
0: Good, good. And you can always find my work at Varcia underscore sports. As always, Sean, thank you for joining me on this Thursday, and we'll be back at it next week, same time, same, same channel.
1: Be safe, sir. Have a good one.